Happy Sunday morning, believers. It's so good to be coming to you this morning. Uh, I just want to give you two weeks away. I cannot wait to see you July 5th, 9-15 and 11-15. And we're just going to be wide open. So we're excited about it. Our kids ministry, Be Kids, we're ready for you. And I cannot wait to see you, elbow you, fist bump you, or hug you. I'm just excited to see all the Believers Church sheep and people of believers. I cannot wait. So go ahead, put it on your calendar, make special effort to be here with us, and we're going to jump right back in full throttle. Things have been going really well, and I have a, uh, something very special to share with you. This coming Sunday, uh, June the 28th, one week away from now, I will be speaking at Cowan Mill Church. I'm so excited. They've called me and asked me to come share with them on Sunday morning. I believe the services start at 11, so I'm very excited about it. Let's just jump right into the Word today. Our Bible reading for the week is 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm excited to dig it out with you. I want to give you a little disclaimer as we get ready to jump into it. I'm just going to share my heart the best I can from Scripture about all that's been going on concerning the racial tension that we've all been a part of and seen. And I don't know where you've gotten yourself involved and how involved you've been. Maybe you've been silent about it. Maybe you've been very vocal about it. But after uh, this morning's uh, message from my heart, I hope it challenges all of us. Let's just jump right into it. I want you to get a Bible out. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version today. I pull, I've been pulling all my Bibles out through our Corona and just going through all the different versions. So the ESV version this morning, if you want to pull that up on your app. And then get your communion ready because at the end we're going to have a prayer together. We're going to believe that God will anoint what we're going to be talking about this morning. And again, I want you to do this. I hope it challenges you. I hope it opens your heart. And I'll say this as well because maybe it will help you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, if you disagree with something I say, that's absolutely okay. I always welcome a conversation. I try to minister and preach from the things that I've worked out of Scripture, but it, it doesn't always mean that I'm right. So I open myself up to people to speak into my life, to help me make sure that the truth that I preach is solid and it's grounded in Scripture. So as I share it with you, if something jumps in your heart, pricks your heart, write it down. Talk about it with somebody. Get in a B group. Call a friend up. And let's have some good discussion around this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Man, that's good stuff. Here's what I want to share with you. As I've been praying about how to address our house, our church, uh, and how to be uh, gospel-centered about what's going on in our nation, uh, maybe not even in our nation. You know, sometimes I may pride myself that I could, you know, somehow try to speak to a global or national problem, but I'll just say right here in our own 50 feet. I want to give you a few scriptures that have jumped in my heart, and then I want to tell you where I want to go with it. And I hope it challenges you. As I was reading it, verse 2 said, Shepherd the flock of God. So I, I'm desiring to be a good shepherd of this house. I don't want to shrink back when times get hard. Uh, you know, leaders who shrink back during hard times aren't really good leaders in my opinion. I think a good leader is somebody that's willing to lead the charge. A good leader is somebody that's willing to, you know, get out in front of the fray of war and uh, maybe get some wounds and maybe get some of his shield, you know, his armor of God dinged up and beat up a little bit. But I think that's the mark of a good leader, whether a male or a female, is that we're willing to lead the charge and not shrink back. And so as a shepherd of this house, I want to be bold to lead the charge. I don't want to shrink back and go, you know, it's kind of crazy time. It's going to keep my mouth shut and sit still. I feel like if I do that, that I've not been true to what God has called me to do because what the Lord has asked of my life, me personally and my 50 feet, is to try to bring the gospel and the message of the gospel in a practical way into our 50 feet so that what we see going on around us will not you know, make us anxious, but we will be able to be strong in our faith. And then this is what it says, and I want to talk to you about it, uh, this racial tension that we see. Uh, it's, it's rather difficult to, to address it because on one hand you're like, well, I want to address it, but what if I say the wrong thing and then you get crucified for the wrong thing? Or I want to say the right thing, but then what is the right thing? And it just becomes very frustrating to try to lead boldly because the, the fear and the anxiety is, well, I'm going to say something, but it'll probably be wrong. And then I, I want to say something that I think is right, but not everybody's going to agree with it. And so now the best thing is, well, I'm just going to shut up and not say anything, but that's not what I want to do. I want to try to go to the gospel and address this issue that we have of racial tension and this racial war that we see going on in our nation. And then I'm going to reel it in and say, not in our nation, but maybe to you, to your own personal home, to what's going on in your heart and to your perceptions. Uh, and, and here's the, the thing I've learned through life is that perception often can appear to be reality. Perception is reality, right? The girl that looks in the mirror and sees herself fat, but she's skinny. Perception is reality. And the, 
you know, to bring the gospel into this kind of environment is strange because just think about what we're dealing with right now. Uh, let's go to our president, President Trump. Perception and reality. There are people who literally loathe and hate and cannot stand the man uh, and, and everything about him and anyone associated with him on the left hand. And then on the right hand are the people who, uh, you know, just adore the ground he walks on. And, and people throwing facts and feelings from both, and you just go, man, I live in a crazy world. Like, what's true, what's not true, what's real news, what's fake news, who's good, who's bad, who's... And we just get all caught up in it to the point that we just go, man, I'm just going to stay out of the middle of it. And that's just politics. So you can imagine when it starts touching things more personal than politics, it starts touching uh, my heritage, it starts touching my home, it starts touching my children... Uh, you know, my ethnicity, well, man, you know really then how it can, it can sting a lot. But perception is reality. Uh, you know, it's, it's the whole uh, arguments that we get into. You know, on one side, people repenting of white privilege, and on the other, people screaming, no, you should never repent of that. And then your mind's just like about to explode with what in God's name is going on. And then protesting on the street, and then people screaming, you shouldn't be protesting. And then Again, it's just like, how in the world do we even remotely begin to address it, especially when people say we should be having conversations, and then you think, well, I'd love to have a conversation, but I'll, I'm afraid I'll get crucified and, and you know, in an anger fit with one another. And so I just want to lead you as a shepherd of this house to look at your perceptions. Now, I don't know how you were raised. I don't know how your granddaddy, your mom, your dad raised you. I don't know if you were raised by racist parents, fearful parents, anxious parents. I don't know if you were raised to hate Christianity or love it. How you were raised. Uh, I know just this last few weeks, I even saw the, you know, the anxiety over the, um, over the, the flag, the, uh, the rebel flag. You've got uh, NASCAR saying we'll never have that racist rebel flag, and there's all the people that hate that. And then there's all the people over here going, no, that's my heritage. And you just listen to both sides argue back and forth. And again, like I say, it's just like, man, this is a crazy world we live in. And so therefore, I think I'll just shut up. I'll just kind of close my life down. And, and to me, I think that's a weak leader. And so I want to address this racial tension it may be in your heart, it may be in your home. You may have been raised to be racist and you may not even think you're overtly racist, uh, but you have very racial thinking. Uh, you have racial memorabilia in your home. Uh, you have anxiety and, and uh, you know, trepidation in your heart toward another ethnicity. So I wanna talk about that and I hope it challenges you. And what I'm gonna attempt to do in the best way possible is go to scripture and lead you up to what we're dealing with right now in a way that I think will help you. But I also want to be smart and I don't want you to just, uh, you know, tune me out in because you don't like something I say or like something the Bible says. I don't want your perceptions to rob you of really hearing what I think the Holy Spirit wants to say. So maybe just calm and listen, and then listen to the end. You know, even if you can't finish this all at one time, listen all the way to the end uh, sometime this week and just take the whole chunk of meat. Uh, spit out whatever bones you want to spit out, but chew it and, you know, let it really sit in your heart because it will help you. I really believe that, otherwise I would not be sharing it. So let's start here as we get ready to jump into it. And... Uh, 
This is a thought. I want to just give you a personal story of mine. Years ago, I had someone, and when I say years ago, I was in college, so we're talking 19, mid-1980s. I had a guy come up to me who was black, and I was in college. We were friends, and he said, hey, Mark, uh, are you racist? And I said, no, man, not that I know of. I'm not racist at all. And he said, well, you would have to be racist. And I said, well, well, why would I have to be racist? I mean, I don't, I don't even get it. And he said, well, you're white. You would have to be racist because everybody has racism in their heart. And uh, I said, I just don't know if I agree with that. Like, just because I'm white doesn't mean I'm racist. And then he, this is in the 1980s now. And we started, I mean, we were friends. We started having this conversation about, of course, you would have to be racist because you're white. Uh, therefore, that would just, you know, by the nature of you being white would make you racist. And then he kind of threw this in. He said, because you couldn't be white and look at a, a, a black person and not have some kind of thought toward them that is racist. And then I said, bro, I'm just serious as I can be. I really don't think I have a racist bone in my body. And we talked about that a little bit. Well, it bothered me because I'm like, well, does he see me that way? Because I don't want to be that way. And so it just took me on a journey, even from 1980, to, to think about this, you know, are we racist because we're white or black, or can we ever be freed of it? I guess that's what I would, I would have asked him if I would have been thinking, looking back. I would have said, so you're saying we cannot be free from this, like my color makes me bound to this the rest of my life, because now that I'm older, here, here is what I've come to realize I was raised in a home that wasn't racist at all. My dad got born again when I was probably three. And his own testimony is, is he heard in his heart that you cannot hate people of another color and love me at the same time, talking about God. And so in my home, I just grew up to just love everybody. And then you, you were either born again or you weren't born again. So there were never racist jokes in my home or uh, racist memorabilia. Uh, my parents just ran hard for God, and so I grew up that way. But I now know living in the South and, uh, you know, uh, to see all the things that went on in the South as a kid, the KKK rallies that would march in our town, and my mom would say, stay away from that. Those are evil people. Don't, don't get into that. And, you know, I grew up. I saw it. Uh, I remember segregation, uh, in, in segregation, and then when they integrated the, the schools, the public schools, and the tension that was there, the threats to, uh, you know, they were going to, you know, burn buses down. I mean, it was just a weird time in the 60s. I was probably too young to remember a lot of it. But, but it does make me come to this thought of that our perceptions can be so um, ingrained into us that we never let the gospel be truly the gospel. Because here's what the gospel says. I'm crucified with Christ, but I no longer live, but not me that lives, Christ lives in me because I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and all things have become new. I've been born again. I used to be one way, but I'm not that anymore because I'm a brand new creature in Christ. You see, that's the gospel. So for me to say to a friend in 1980, do you believe that Jesus could change a heart so much 
that even if we were raised in a racial environment, a, uh, a very hated environment of a home or a grandparent or a parent that's just putting the vial, let's not even talk race, let's talk abuse, let's talk molestation, all the things that can come growing up in a, in a sinful world, do we really believe the gospel that we can change? And that's what I want to ask you before we dive into it. Do you really believe that when we come to the gospel of Jesus and become born again, that who we used to be, we are no more? Or do you just believe, well, we're just better people but not different? Because that's what I mean by sometimes the gospel is uh, diminished because of perceptions. In other words, my perceptions become my gospel. Uh, what I think to be real must be real, and I just deny what the Bible says. I want you to look at a verse here, and then we're going to jump into it. We're going to go through the Bible and just methodically pull it apart to get you to think about some things. But listen to what it says. It's talking <clears throat> down in verse number 8. It says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil's prowling like a, ro a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know that if you're not sober-minded, you'll be devoured? Do you know that if you don't think right, you'll be devoured? You see, when you're not thinking right, your perceptions become your reality, and then therefore the gospel is diminished, and then therefore you become trapped by the enemy, and you're really not living what Jesus wants you to live. And to be sober-minded, the Bible says this in Romans 12, 1, I have to have my brain, my mind washed with the gospel, with the word of God. So that's what I want to do. I don't want to give you perceptions this morning. I don't want to give you what Fox News or MSNBC News or CNN News says or what Atlanta Constitution Journal says or what we see on the streets. I just want to take our mind for a moment and I want to ask you to take your perceptions and for one moment... Over the next several minutes, I want you to let your perceptions take a back seat to the Word of God. And I just want to read the Word of God and comment on it to allow our perceptions of what we think about one another and what we think about what's going on to sit under the power of the gospel. So let's just jump into it. Genesis, if you will, chapter 1. So get your Bibles because I'm just going to take you on a journey through the Bible to talk about this thing uh, of racism and where does it even come from and the thinking and I want to show you something that where it comes from is perceptions of humanity and the uh, the desires of humanity begin to override the message of the gospel anytime my perceptions of myself my race or my ethnicity my feelings and or my circumstances and or my reality override the power of the gospel, then I'm at a, a deafening loss of seeing the life of God. Let's jump into it. Genesis chapter 1. This is God speaking. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after, after our likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Question for you. What color did God make man? I'll give you a few minutes to ponder. What color did God make man? Now, if you're white, white people assume he must be white because I'm white. And when I think about Adam, I see Adam as a white person. 
If you go look at all the Sistine Chapel and the painting, uh, Adam is always this not like lily white guy with beautiful brown hair, blue eyes. Even Jesus of Nazareth, uh, on many of the paintings, Jesus is painted as a pretty tanned white guy. Beautiful blue eyes, perfectly straight teeth, a chiseled body. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it just is how ingrained in perceptions that when we look back, uh, and I don't know, but I've had friends that of every race, I think our ethnicity looks back and in Adam we see our ethnicity. So a black race may see Adam as black, a white may see Adam as white, a Hispanic may see Adam as Hispanic, just in our perceptions. But I do want to ask you this, what color did God make originally? And when you read it, God never even men mentions skin color. He never even mentions, was it a white guy? Now here's the problem of racism in the South. Racism in the South has been preached from the Bible from different pulpits, not all of them, that Adam was white. Adam was made white and black people came along because Cain murdered Abel and God put a mark on Cain and then therefore that's where black people came from. Black people came from Cain because God made a white dude. And so you look at that and if you don't know the gospel, you're raised to think that blacks are inferior and came from Cain who murdered Abel, but God so loves white people he made Adam white. Ludicrous and stupid. But because of perceptions and the way we're raised and the way our perceptions of our ethnicity reads the Bible, we make assumptions that aren't even in the Bible. And so I leave you with this. What color did God make Adam? And here's the answer if you want to take a test. All of them. In Adam, because he is created by God, God put every color and DNA possibility into the life of Adam. Let's read Genesis chapter 2. It gets better. Listen to this. So God, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed the place of the flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had made was taken from the man to make into a woman, and he brought her to the man and then said... This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Second question, what color was Eve? And again, the same perceptions begin to roll. Our, our ethnicity can read into the story, but Eve is simply called this. She's called a woman and she's called one flesh. So when God creates man and woman, he doesn't create ethnicity, a specific color of people, a culture of people, nor does he create a race of people. He creates flesh. And now we're, you know, thousands of years removed looking back and now we have culture and race and ethnicity and languages and customs and all the things that come out of this. But the original beginning of God was I created a male, I created a female and out of that male and female I dumped every bit of my image and spirit into them. So here's what's weird. We don't know what color Adam was and we don't know what color Eve was, but we can assume from Scripture because they're made in the image of God 
that every one of us, all of our colors, all of our diversities of skin, our hairstyles, our freckles, our red hair, our yellow hair, our black hair, our curly hair, our straight hair, our wide shoulders, our narrow shoulders, our big hips, our small hips, our bow-legged feet, our toes, our eyes, our ears, my big ears, my big lips, my big teeth, my eyes, my blue eyes, no, my hazel eyes, my green eyes, all of those DNA combinations were put into a male and a female. And God said this, and they're one flesh. Now, if you're Lucifer, if you're Satan, and this one flesh has dominion over the entire planet, what are you going to do? You're going to begin to try to disrupt the whole thing. You're going to disrupt everything about it. So as we go through the Old Testament and we begin to pull it apart, I want to show you how God thinks about humans and where races come from and why the tension is so real today because we've missed what God is trying to do. So here's point one. What color did God make people? Your answer is all colors into one human because we hold the spirit and the DNA of God. So here's a weird science test for you. That means that Adam, who could have been black, and Eve, who could have been a Hispanic in nature, could have got together and birthed a lily-white child with red hair and freckles. Why? Because all of the DNA was resonant within them. Today we don't even think that way because what we birth out is birthed out from mom and dad and well we go, the kid looks just like you. But when you hold all the DNA, your kid pops out and goes, where in God's name did his red hair come from? And we go, well right there, it came from God because of the DNA. Fast forward, if you will, to Genesis chapter 11 because as humans begin to take over the planet, Genesis 10 and 11 become very interesting to us. It's almost we, we would need to flip the two. Uh, Genesis 11 should probably come before 10 in the writing, but I want you to listen to Genesis 10 because we start out with a mother and a father, a husband and a wife, a male and a female who were never given a color. We don't know what language they spoke. We don't know what tone of skin they had. We don't know if they were short, wide, big or tall. All we know is God made them. But by Genesis 10, something very interesting happens. Noah's kids come out of the boat. If you want to turn there, I just want to pull out a few scriptures. Here's uh, Genesis 10 and verse uh, number 5. From these, <clears throat> meaning the sons of Japheth, the people spread to their lands, each with their own language, by their clans and in their nations. Verse number 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Verse number 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. You see, what we started out with in Genesis was a one flesh, a husband and a wife. By the time we get to Genesis 10, we're already divided up into clans, languages, people, and nations. And where did all that come from? Well, now here's the beauty, Genesis 11. Because I want to show you something profound that God did that will challenge everything 
about what you think about this racial issue that we see on our planet today of all the nations, all the languages, all the people, all the tribes, all the customs, all the colors, all the different hair uh, options and eye options and skin and hands and all of that. Genesis chapter 11 is going to show us where it all came from and it's going to be brilliantly interesting the way the Bible says it. Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words and the people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there and they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and they had made brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower to its top to heaven and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower with the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth and they left off the building of the city. The name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Now get this, this is interesting. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. Grab this, this is... Man, this is powerful what the Bible is doing for us. God creates a male and a female, puts all of his DNA in them, and then they sin. And out of their sin, they cease to do what God wants them to do, which is take over the whole earth and dominate. But now because of sin, we go through Noah and we find ourselves, which if you study history, uh, the Tower of Babel are all of Noah's descendants. They've ended up there. They're going to make a name for themselves. And I want you to watch the first division of humanity. God steps in and says, because they speak one language, I'm going to disperse them all over the earth by confusing their language. Now out of this confusion of language is where we're going to get all of the nations, all of the people groups, all of the different colors, all of the different customs. And let me explain it quickly how it could be. Everybody's on this plane called Shinar building this big tower. They all speak the same language and the same words. And God says, no, can't have it. Let's confuse their languages. So I don't know what languages, the Bible doesn't tell us, but God confused enough of their language that they had to cease building and disperse to all parts of the world. Could you imagine one day you're in the middle of working and suddenly you can't even speak English anymore. You can't even understand English and now you speak a foreign language and you don't even know what language you're speaking because you've never heard it before. Can you imagine the confusion on the tower that day when you realize I don't speak the language I used to speak? And then watch, and God dispersed them in language groups. So I want you to understand this is a powerful thought because this is going to be the answer for racism. The answer to racism is not in skin color. 
The answer to racism is not in having more conversations. The answer to racism is not in having more laws. The answer to racism is not in getting the president out and a new president in or vice versa. You will never fix it that way. If we could fix it that way, it would be fixed by now. And it's not fixed by now. We still have issues going on. Why? This is my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. Because the answer resides in languages. The answer does not reside in customs. The answer doesn't reside in culture. The answer doesn't reside in upbringing. The answer does not reside in my skin color or my ethnicity. The answer resides in language. Because it was languages that first got dispersed and confused. So when God disperses them, He doesn't disperse them because of skin color. He doesn't disperse them because of uh, according to their height. He doesn't disperse them according to their ethnicity. They all speak the same language. They all come from the same family, Noah. So whatever ethnicity of Noah was, they've all come from Noah. And so, but God doesn't disperse them according to ethnicity. God doesn't disperse them. Fat people go left, skinny people go right. God disperses them because of language. And in that one thought, that holds the answer to this crazy problem that we're experiencing called racism. The answer resides in language. How so? When God disperses them, and let's just say for the sake of the topic, uh, because here's how it's often taught, okay? So this is, I think it's wrong, but this is how it can be taught. Well, I'll tell you where white people came from. At the Tower of Babel, God confused their languages and everybody who went north turned into white people because it was cold and they got white because they didn't get in the sunshine. And everybody who went east turned into yellow people. And everybody who went south, they turned into black people because it was hot down there. I mean, that's how literally this has been taught that the races came because of the climate. It's not a climate problem. We didn't turn into white people because we went north and turn into black people because we went south because we adapted in evolution to the hot and to... Uh, it's just dumb, right? I mean, just... But it, it's taught that way. Here's what I want you to understand. I didn't turn into a color because I went north, south, east, or west. I didn't become my ethnicity because I was in a parka and really cold, and therefore I'm, I'm lily white because I never got out in the sun. And I'm not my ethnicity because my heritage moved down south into the depths of, uh, of India and Africa, and we got really hot and took all our clothes off and got really tan, and then thus, therefore, we're all really tan. It's just a ludicrous thought. Here is what I believe happened. When God dispersed them according to language, each of those language groups that dispersed and went east, west, north, and south, by their languages, they took a segment of God's DNA. Not all of it, a segment of it. Because all of the DNA was in the commonness of their language. They were all together, one language, one people, in one spot. That was the dynamic of the beauty of God. But God wanted that oneness to go across the earth. But he started with, you've already missed it, you've already gone into sin, I'm working a plan, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to confuse you in your languages and go. So for the sake of this language group, 
migrates east. This language group migrates west. This language group migrates north. And this language group migrates south. And in that migration, they took chunks of God's DNA that had been put in them from Adam. And so over time, because now it's not everybody, it's just a language group, that language group, as they mate, as they have children, their DNA gets more specific and more specific. So now because they're here in a language group having children, they all start, well, rather looking the same because they're just replicating their own DNA. And so now we've got people groups, which is what you read in Genesis 10. Now we have languages, but we also have clans and tribes and nations Now we start, here's what's weird, we start getting into our nice little people groups. The people who look like me now. The people who now think like me. The people who talk like me. The people who look like me. And now I'm in this little thing called my tribe, my clan, my people group. Now once the devil gets in charge of this, rather than the oneness, one flesh of Adam and Eve, and the oneness of them trying to make a name for themselves, now everybody becomes ticked at each other. And now we start all through history seeing all these nations start warring against each other. Why? Because we're not trying to be one anymore. We're trying to be the best. I'm not trying to come together. I'm trying to dominate. I'm not trying to be happy and dominate the earth for God. I'm trying to dominate my earth for me. And so therefore you have kingdoms and wars, and murders, and crusades, and killing people in the name of my tribe, my clan, my language, my king, my desires, my religion. And now off we go with just wars, and wars, and killings, and murders, and murdering babies and children. Why? Because we're no longer one flesh created by God. We're one clan And I'm not trying to move God's kingdom. I'm trying to preserve my own kingdom. So in the beauty, watch what God does. Genesis chapter 12. God has a remedy. Here's the remedy. Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, he's got a country now, and your kindred, now there's people that look like him, from your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is crazy. But watch what God does. Out of all of this confusion and chaos of tribes, languages, peoples, and nations, God steps in and says, I still have a remedy. And my remedy is life and blessing. You all are killing each other, murdering each other. And so God pulls a man out of culture, pulls a man out of his, commu- his community, and he calls him. He's Abram. He's going to be Abraham. And Abraham is going to become the people of God. And this is where it really gets interesting because God never sees humanity like we see humanity. Now God, from Genesis 12 all the way through the New Testament, will see two groups of people the people who were chosen by me and then everybody else. The people chosen by God will be called the Israelites, the Jews, and or the Hebrews. It's the entire Old Testament. 
It is the 12 tribes of Israel. And God says of those tribes of people, those are mine. Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is what it says in Deuteronomy 7. I've called them, I've chosen them. They are my very own special possession. And I chose them to make them great. I chose them to put my covenant in them, my life in them, and my spirit in them. And this is what's mind-blowing. Here's what I see. I see customs and tribes and languages and people groups and not God. God sees the Jews and everybody else. And everybody else that we say, but there's these languages and these tribes and these nations and they have names and they have kings and they have their lands and they have their customs and we, we label them all, right? Babylon, Assyria, Greece, all of these, you know, the Athenians, all of these names that we give them. And God says, well, I'm glad you all do that, but I don't. Here's what I do. I call them Gentiles. And Gentiles, in Mark Evans' translation, will be the people who don't belong to God. So in Genesis chapter 12, out of this confusion of languages, when he sent them out, not by race, not by ethnicity, but by language, God pulls a man out and says this, those are my people, called by my name, they're going to be my children in my possession, and I'm going to use them to bless the entire world. And from that moment, a line in the sand comes of a division of races of people. Only two. The two races of people that exist to God are the Jews, his own special possession, chosen by him, and this may sting if you're not a Jew, and everybody else. That's kind of unfair. Like God seemingly is really unfair. He picked a group of people, called them His own, chose them, called them special, is going to bless them. Everything they touch when they follow God as His people will be blessed. And then He says, oh, all the rest of you? Yeah, you're just Gentiles. Oh, as a matter of fact, if, I don't want to hurt your feelings here, but you're not even my people. You don't belong to me, you're not my possession, and you're without hope, and you're without me. Because I've already chosen a race of people. That, that is a profound thought. You see, we think that racism came because of our hatred of one another. But the true division of races came because God chose a people that were His special possession and then said to everybody else, but y'all aren't, you're not my special possession. I made a covenant with these people. They're called the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites. And then everybody else is Gentiles. I'll show you how that plays out in a moment. So as we, as we go forward through the Bible, I'm not talking about how humans view each other. We very much view each other. My, my nation's going to conquer yours. My king's going to kill your king. Uh, I'm going to conquer your land, your people. I'm going to take all your women and make them my wives and my queens and... That's how humans see racism in nations and battles. But God sees it as my chosen people and then everybody else. Romans chapter 2. Here's where it gets really weird. Romans chapter 2. Paul is asking a question about this issue, or chapter 3, about this issue of the Jews. And he's writing to people in Rome. And he's going to ask a question, and this is the question, and it's mind-blowing. Because right now, you know, we hear uh, the talk that's out and, and it's, you know, it's really, uh, it's, it's, almost, it's divisive when you talk about it because you just, it's like, oh man, it's such a sore spot. It's called white privilege and, you know, you can study it and do whatever you want and have whatever conversations. That's not my point. But, but we even now 
are, are having a conversation on, well, is, is there or is there not white privilege? And then, of course, there's the camp that says, oh, absolutely, yes, we need to apologize for it. And then the camp that says, absolutely not, we don't need to apologize at all. And then they yeah, yeah, back and forth. But here's what I want to help you out with. God's people, listen to chapter 3 of Romans, because this is a, it makes you just scratch your head. Romans 3, verse 1. Then what advantage is there to be in a Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? And it answers it much in every way. In other words, even from Scripture, the Bible says that the Jew has advantage over everybody else. The Jew. The Jewish people, Israel, like turn east and look toward Israel, toward the Middle East. And God says they have an advantage over every other race. It's why they're so hated by nations. It's why they're so hated. This little bitty nation about the size of Rhode Island in America. It's about that size. How big Rhode Island is is about how big the Jewish nation is. And yet it is the focal point of all of the angst and anxiety in the Middle East. Something about the size of Rhode Island. When was the last time you woke up and thought, man, we better keep an eye on Rhode Island in the United States. They're going nuts up there. You don't ever think about Rhode Island. Nobody ever even talks about it. But yet a, a country, a nation the size of Rhode Island has stirred up the entire Middle East. You either hate the Jews or you love the Jews. It's like there's no in-between. You either love Israel or you hate Israel. And the Palestinians fight and the, you know, fighting over the land. But yet the Jews have claimed we're God's special people. We belong to God. We belong to Him as His special people. And we have an advantage because we're His special people. And we look at that and go, man, that seems so unfair. But it's not unfair because God is working something. I want to show you what He's working. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Jesus is a Jew. He comes in God's special family. The family that was chosen out of all the other families of the earth. Jesus comes and he's a Jew. He looks like a Jew. He's born with Jewish customs into a Jewish home and Jewish traditions into a Jewish nation. So God took this one flesh of, of Genesis and now we have the Word of God. The second Adam is now... This is weird. This one flesh, Adam, the first Adam, had all the DNA of all humanity but this second Adam, Jesus, it now has a culture, a language, a people, a town, and a custom. And he's born into it. He's born into this Jewish nation. And let me tell you about this if you study it. The Jews literally despised, they hated, they despised everybody else. Everybody else was despised by them. If you weren't a Jew... You were nothing. If you weren't a Jew, you were, you were wretched. You, you were unclean. You were not to be talked with. You were not to marry into that. We stay pure. We marry into ourselves. We don't marry outside of our race. We don't marry outside of our customs. We have the customs of God. We are the people of God. And Je watch now. And Jesus came into the middle of that. That is mind-blowing. 
Jesus came into the middle of a people group who were, we're better than you. We don't like anybody that's not like us. And our rituals and our religion overrides everything else. And we look down our nose at you. We call you names. We spit in your face. We, we cannot stand you. And that's what we're about to read. Because this Jewish Jesus came into the middle of that kind of culture. He put himself into the middle of a culture that had racial hatred toward another group of people. Well, not another group, to all other groups of people. Think about that for a minute. Jesus came into a group of people who despised anybody who wasn't like them. You would think he'd go, I'm not going to put myself in the middle of that. I want you to understand something about Jesus. In the middle of racial hate, if we will stand up and put Jesus in the middle of it, there's hope. It's when we just start fighting over customs and culture and all of the stuff that we do and the way I think and my perceptions, well, we end up with a mess, which is where Peter was. Peter was one of the inner three of Jesus, and now Jesus has a work for this Jewish dude named Peter. Listen to it. Chapter 10, Peter has a vision in verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kind of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him. There's the language. It's a language of heaven. That's where I'm going to take you in a moment. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up once into heaven. And while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had might mean, behold, men were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, and they stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, there's the language again, the language of Jesus and the language of, of the Spirit. You see this, this language that created the culture, this language of Peter's custom that does not speak what God wants to speak. Jesus says, rise, kill, and eat. And now the Spirit speaks. He says, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an, a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. A centurion was a Gentile, a Roman. He wasn't a Jew. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And then following day he entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathering. And he said to them, listen to what he said, because here comes his racism. The dude that we call the father of the modern church is racist. Peter, whose book we just read, is racist. Because listen to what he said. 
you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me I should not call anybody uncommon or clean. That is profound. The dude that was baptized in the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost has such racial tension in him, he doesn't even want to go preach the gospel to somebody who looks different than him. He doesn't even want to go have a conversation with Cornelius. As a matter of fact, he's not even thinking about Cornelius. Cornelius has not even entered his mind because we stay away from him. You keep him on that side of the tracks. He stays on his side of town, I'll stay on my side of town. He has his culture, I have mine. He has his language, I have mine. He has his family, I have mine. And by God, keep him away from me. I don't mind being a Jew, passionate for Jesus, but don't get me out of my racial perceptions to do something bigger than myself. I want to live for me and the way I was raised. I was raised to be a Jew. I was raised that I was better than anybody else. I was raised that our nation is prized. I was raised that we have the advantage. I was raised this way. I was raised that way. And the beauty of this is God said, I'm glad you were raised that way, you Jewish dude named Peter, but I have a voice and a language bigger than your language, and it's the language of Jesus, and it's the language of the Spirit. Why do you think on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, go read it. What did God do in Acts chapter 2? He undid everything from Genesis 11. Genesis 11, he took all of the languages and confused them. But in Acts chapter 2, he brings all of the languages back together. Why? Because God is about to show us something profound that fixes racism. God is going to teach me how to fix racism. And again, we don't fix racism with Republicans or Democrats. We don't fix racism by simply protesting. If that was true, we would have cured it back in the 60s when we protested in Selma and Montgomery and, all, and Birmingham. We would have cured it. We do not cure racism by passing more laws. We cure racism by speaking a language. Not my language, not my culture language, not my English language, not my racist language not my ethnicity language. I don't cure it by speaking African, Japanese, or Chinese. Neither do I cure it sitting down around a table and going, let's chat about this problem. The way we solve racism is the way God solved it. And God brought all of them together from every tribe, race, language, and people from all over the world into a racist mentality to bring them into Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, what did God do? He gave them the language of the Holy Spirit. God took the languages of the world that dispersed us into colors and customs and, and thinking and nations and tribes and battles and wars and He brought us back together and said, Fellas, I'm about to cure it all. Ladies, I'm about to cure it all. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to override the language of humanity with the language of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to override the language of customs of people with the language and customs of heaven. I'm going to override what you think with what I think. I'm going to override your racist upbringing with heaven's unity of one flesh. I'm going to do something so profound through Jesus Christ that it will blow your mind. And so on the day of Pentecost, Jesus released the language of heaven. 
And that's what happened to Cornelius. As Peter begins to speak to him, he begins to speak in tongues. He begins to speak a language of heaven. And Peter goes, oh my God, he must be approved by God. He's literally speaking the language of heaven. He spoke in another tongue. Peter's mind is blown. Peter's mind is literally, I can't believe that God could choose this, this low life of a Gentile, that God could take this race of people that I've looked down my nose at my whole life, that God could take that race and, and baptize them with power. Why? Because the answer of God is you have to have the language of heaven to overcome the racial tension. You have to have the language of Jesus to overcome the racial hatred. We don't just sit down and have English conversations and think we're going to cure it. We have to say the answer was the baptism of the Spirit because it gave us the language of heaven. And then in, Gen in, in, in uh, chapter 10 of Acts, it says, And Jesus said, Rise and eat. And then the Spirit told me to go. In other words, heaven had to override Peter's own language. Heaven had to override his own customs. Heaven had to override his own thinking, his own perceptions. And then when he meets the dude and says again, it's unlawful for us to talk. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Jim Crow laws to you? It's unlawful for you to drink out of this water fountain. It's unlawful for you to go to the theater with me. It's unlawful for your kind to marry my kind. It's unlawful that we eat in the same restaurants together. Oh, you just stay over there on your side. I'll stay on my side. And maybe we'll come together for sporting events. But by God, don't ever expect us to be one flesh. Why would we ever say that? Because we don't speak the language of heaven. We speak the language of racist granddaddy. We speak the language of bitter mom. We speak the language of the, rebe uh, of the rebellious south. We speak the language of slavery. We speak the language of the autocracy. We speak the language of politics. We speak the language of my culture, my neighborhood, my family. We speak our own lingo. That'll never cure a thing. And the weird thing about it, Jesus knows it. And he takes a racist thinker named Peter, says, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to send you into the middle of the thing you think there's no cure for because you see them as hopeless and without God. But I'm going to send you into the middle of it and I'm going to baptize Cornelius with my power and give his entire family a language of heaven. And Peter's mind blown, man. And when he goes back and reports it, everybody that's a Jew, their mind is blowing. This cannot be true. I couldn't even believe that God could see another group of people more special than me. And that's because you're thinking like a Jew, Peter. You want me to show you how powerful racist thinking is? How powerful culture is? How powerful your perceptions are? How powerful what your grandmother taught you is? How powerful what your daddy told you is? You want me to tell you how powerful your neighborhood is? The people you hang out with is? Your 50 feet? You want to tell you how powerful it really is? If you're not careful, it is so powerful that the language of your neighborhood, the language of your family, the language of your friends, the language of all the people you hang out with, your culture, your customs, uh, the area of town you live in, if you're not careful, that language will override the language of heaven and the customs of heaven and the desire of heaven. I'll show you how. Galatians 2. Watch this. This is Peter who has had a profound moment to realize, I probably had a racist thought toward Cornelius. 
I saw him as low life. I saw him as uncircumcised. I saw him as well different than me, without hope and without God. But I was willing to go. But watch what happened. It did not take long before Peter fell right back into the trap. Galatians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says to Peter. But when Peter came to Antioch, verse 11, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party or the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of everybody, You're a Jew. You live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Peter still could not get the racist heritage upbringing out of his soul. He kept hanging out with people who thought that way. He kept hanging out with people who looked down their nose at the Gentiles. He kept hanging out with people. And the Bible actually calls Peter a hypocrite. Peter, the the, the daddy of the... I sounded like I was stuttering. The daddy of the church. Peter is a hypocrite. He went right back into his racist thinking. He went right back into a mentality right back into, I'm just a Jew, man. I'm so comfortable in my Jewishness. I'm so comfortable that my way is the best way. My faith is the best faith, that I'm just going to kind of still keep everybody away. And now watch what it said. Because of that, it led other people astray into his hypocrisy. I just want to ask you, Dad, I want to ask you, uh, I want to ask you, are your thoughts leading your children into a racist mentality, the things you have hanging on your wall, the crass jokes you make. Oh, you're a Christian. You love Jesus, but you make very crass jokes about other races of people. You have racial memorabilia hanging all over your walls, and and, and you, you kind of think more highly of your own race than anybody else. Oh, you would never tell anybody that because nobody can rebuke you. Nobody can tell you that you're wrong because you're always right. Nobody can ever speak into you and say you're a hypocrite. You're a racist bigot and a hypocrite. But yet, because I call myself a Christian and I read the Bible and I love Jesus, I'm probably not a racist hypocrite. That's the way Peter's thinking. I've been chosen by God. I'm leading a church. I'm part of the leaders in the Jewish culture. And Paul says, you're a hypocrite, bro. And here's why. Because you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So I want to ask you right where you sit right now, maybe look at your children and ask your children, do you think I have racist thinking? Do you think that I look down my nose at a white person to other races, as a black person, a Hispanic person to other races? Do I cut jokes and put other races down in front of you? Because if I do, I'm acting like a hypocrite. Because I'm still thinking my perceptions. I'm letting my culture be my language. I'm letting my upbringing be my language. I'm letting my grandfather's perceptions be my language. I'm letting the South be my language. I'm letting what my mama told me to think be my language. The news is my language. The media is my language. The people I follow on Instagram, that's my language. 
I'm not listening to the language of heaven. I'm following all these people on Instagram. They're my language. And that's what determines my hate and my anger and my angst. I don't care about the language of heaven. I'm following Fox News. I'm following CNN News. I'm following that. That's my language. No, my language is all the people that I've surrounded myself with who think like me, who we all have racist tendencies, and we can joke together and we can protest together. That's what I surrounded myself with. People who share my language, my customs, my color, and my thinking. And that is the most hypocritical thing ever. Because all of us, me included, have to take the skin that I'm in. I have to take the culture of my upbringing, what my grandparents and great-grandparents said and or did, what I've thought through the years about other cultures, and I have to submit that to God's truth. And God's truth says there's none that are common. All of us belong to Him now. We've been chosen by God in Jesus Christ, and that is the language of heaven. I'm going to end with Ephesians 2, and we're going to take communion together. I ask you just to hold on a little longer. I ask you to listen deeply just a little longer. Don't drift off now. I ask you just to hold on a little bit longer because I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you maybe like you've never been challenged before. I want you to be honest and look in your heart. I want you to ask yourself, is your language, customs, and colors, and perception, is it overriding the language of heaven and the Holy Spirit? Is it overriding the language of the gospel? Your feelings, your anxieties, is it overriding? Is your skin tone overriding what the Lord says about you? Is your feelings of what's going on around you, are you bombarding yourself with the language of the media over and over and over, so much so that that becomes your language, that becomes your identity, that becomes what you're fighting for, that becomes what you're hashtagging and what you're sharing all the time. Because like Peter, you weren't willing to listen to heaven. Like Peter, you weren't willing to see the sheet come down and go, I don't want to deal with that, man. I want to stay away from that. I want to stay my little comfortable Jewish man I want to stay in my little box with my little world with my little people with my little customs and my way of thinking don't ask me to get out and do anything different for God that's Peter that's what he's going through and Jesus had to step in and say Peter rise up get up and go do something the spirit had to lead him to go do it and then he still drifted back are you drifting back has this moment in our nation caused you to despise black people has this moment in our nation caused you to hate white people? Has this moment in our nation caused us to have so much anxiety about us as believers and Christians because the language of the earth has overridden the language of heaven? Because the language of my life has overridden the language of... Are we there? I'm including myself. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I'm including myself. Are we there? Are we genuinely where Peter is? Oh, I'm reading God's Word, man. I pray every day, man. Yeah, but you're a hypocrite. Because you're being riddled to live your life by your own language and customs and skin color and ethnicity rather than being led by the gospel of Jesus. Ephesians 2 as we end. And this is just, man, this is convicting. Uh, it, it convicts me and I pray it convicts you. I pray it makes you look at yourself now as we get ready to take communion. Because Jesus Christ is going to do what nobody could do. Because what we could not do with wars, what we could not do with murders, what we could not do with politics, what we could not do with laws, what we could not do with kings and kingdoms and democracies and republics, Jesus Christ can do. 
what our cultures couldn't do and our conversations could not do, Jesus Christ could do. Ephesians chapter 2 is Jesus doing it. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, there it is, that means everybody else other than a Jew. So that's all my Asian friends, Hispanic friends, that's all my European friends, my African friends, my, my Australian friends. That's all of us who aren't a Jew. So if you're watching right now, that's you. Listen to what it says. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, watch, you were called the uncircumcision. In other words, you've been called names. You've had another race call you names. You've been called very choice names. Maybe, that, maybe white people have used choice names against your race. Maybe blacks, Hispanics, we've used choice names against each other. Maybe you can think back into your heritage and upbringing where every race had their names for each other that we called each other. When we didn't like what another ethnicity did, we used the slang and the slander to demean them and to call them names. Well, that's what's going on here. It's nothing new. You may think it's new. It's not new because, listen... Hey, you used to call them the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision. In other words, you put them down because you're a Jew, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And this is what it says about all us Gentiles. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. But now, verse 13, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both, that's Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility meaning the Jews hate the Gentiles. The Gentiles hate the Jews. Jesus broke down the racial barrier. When He died, He broke the division between the races. And He made all of the Jews and all of the Gentiles one, and watch what it ends with, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create Himself one new man in place of the two and make peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see hostility all around you today? Jesus killed it by making all of the races one through His work. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone. That's what I want to leave you with. We don't have an ethnicity problem. We have a language problem. And those languages that have put us into our cultures, our colors, and our customs have overridden the language of heaven that says, because of Jesus, we're one. But my language says, we're not one. I don't like that group of people. I don't like the way they talked to me. I don't like the way they looked at me. And Jesus said, I know, I've been there. 
I've been called uncircumcised, circumcised. I've seen it. I've been in the middle of the racist war that was going on between Jews and Gentiles. And I've come to make you one. I want to leave you with this thought. Are you being robbed of God's best life because you cannot get over your racial perceptions of other people? Because what is going to cure it is not another conversation over Mexican food. It's not another hashtag. It's not another picture you share. It's not another rant on Facebook. It's not another book, a bestseller, a news report. It's not another story that you have shared. The answer is in languages. And I'll leave you with this thought. Will the language of your ethnicity, your culture, your customs, your neighborhood, your family, your social media, will that language override the language of Jesus in heaven? And that's the battle. The battle is who controls the language. Because whoever controls the language controls the peace or the chaos. And if the languages are controlled by us, we're left with Genesis 11. Chaos, confusion, and wars, and hatred. But if the language is controlled by heaven, we end up with one flesh and peace and hope because of Jesus Christ. Father God, right now to everybody listening, I ask you to convict our hearts. God, if we've allowed our language to override yours, if our language, our stories, our thinking, our news choices, our friendship structures, our perceptions have done nothing but create chaos for us, then we repent of letting our language be the God of our life. And Father, right now as we listen to this and as we prepare our hearts for communion, I pray, Jesus, we repent of the language of earth ruling our life, the languages of news reporters, the languages of the day ruling our life, and we ask you to give us the language of heaven. We ask that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We ask that we would hear the voice of Jesus. And when we slip back into our hypocritical ways and our perceptions begin to take over and our culture begins to take over and our customs begin to take over, Jesus, I pray with my whole heart that we would be humble enough to be rebuked and told we're wrong and come back to Jesus Christ. Father God, right now, I bless this communion. I want to lead you in a prayer. I have no idea where you are, how you were brought up, or what you've done in your life, but I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray for me as we get ready for communion. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me. I have lived my life for me, and now I want to live it for you. I choose you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of living for me. And now, Father, I ask you to forgive me of allowing my language, my culture, my customs, and my perceptions override the language of you and the language of your Spirit. Forgive me, Jesus. And now, Father, make me one with you and your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Believers, I love you. I hope you've been inspired to study this out more. 
and I bless you. And remember, if you find yourself slipping back into some hypocritical way of thinking, I pray you bring yourself back to truth. And I pray you pray this prayer. Let me hear the language of heaven. I love you believers. I bless you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 